Attention all you rule breakers, you misfits and troublemakers, all you free spirits and pioneers, all you visionaries and nonconformists. Everything the establishment has told you is wrong with you is actually what's right with you. You see things others don't. You are hardwired to change the world. You are listening to the Spiritual Activist Radio Show, and I am Rahasia Uncensored where we look at the world not as it is, but as we know it can be, if and only if we have the courage to question the answers we've been given. This is our world, and it's time for us to take it back. Okay, today we're interviewing Lynn Serrata. And uh, if I've got my facts right, you received your PhD at Berkeley? Yeah, in the late 60s. Well, that tells me a lot about you right there. Well, my thesis was on the effects of deep relaxation, which is known as Savasana in yoga, the effects of deep relaxation and meditation on learning. <laughs> wow, that must have been a time to be at that school during the 60s. I, I was in college during the 60s, the late 60s, but it was uh, down in Southern California. You uh-huh. know. It, was, it was an interesting time. Uh, I mean, I was part of the hell no, I won't go group, you know, holding signs because we were getting all the right information coming back about why we were in that war to begin with. Yeah, it just so happened I was there, you know, when the march on the Oakland Induction Center was going to happen that evening. It's a big rally on the Berkeley campus. And they made the mistake of bringing out Ken Kesey to talk. (laughs) (laughs) That was probably not a wise move on their part. No, he came out in orange day glow and his orange little square glasses. And he started telling everybody how, how they were being conned, you know, by the ultra left. And that basically, uh, you, you know, anybody who understood anything about deeper consciousness it uh, it wasn't the way to go, right? And they pulled him off the mic, and within five minutes, the crowd shrank from maybe twelve thousand to two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and and here we are today, still actually, I, I hate to use the word fighting, but still dealing with the same opposition. And it, and it seems like this has been going on for thousands of years. There's been a small group of people that wants to control a large group of people. And then you have the large group of people that simply wants to live out their lives and uh, basically live in peace. And here we are today. I think we're at the right at the edge of seeing that these systems can't coincide anymore together. Because before the old system, the the collectivism of our group wanting to be individuals, we were subdued, suppressed, and we had no way to communicate, especially hundreds of years ago. We had no way to, but now we can. And what we're communicating is, hell no, we don't want to go. We don't want to go there where these people are taking us through the Federal Reserve and all of this madness that's going on right now. And it's giving us a chance to rise up. And I think both sides, for the first time in history, is realizing this cannot continue this way. 
one side or the other has to win at this point. And in terms of, you know, what we know in, in, in relation to the study of higher conscious states, it has a lot to do with the fact that our educational process is pretty much, uh, you know, 95% or more focused on the idea of left brain frontal cortex, which is really only half the brain power, you know, and part of the problem with a left brain so-called rational logical thinking mind and frontal cortex, which is an extension of that, is that it tends to take the idea of uh, abstract concept formation. And any time you form an abstract, any kind of abstract concept, it always uh, ends up having the potential to be po polarized. It has a polarity to it. Because the minute somebody posits this, somebody can posit the opposite. And so because we've tended to focus on the rational logical mind, people tend to get dominated by this half-wit, you know, half-conscious thinking mind, and which is always framed in the form of argumentation, conflict, you know? Yep. But bipolar conflict. So it's we've been taught to argue with each other endlessly. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I, I still, it reminds me of that quote by Einstein, we're never going to come up with the solutions from the same level of thinking that created the problems. And exactly. I see so many people out here with good intentions, good intentions, but they keep falling into the trap of controversy and competition because they're trying to fight that system on the system's battleground. And, and I think this is one thing that's changed too. People like you and I, a lot of people that live on the planet, we've been watching what's going on as spectators. Well, we've all been drugged down into the playing field and we're, we are participants at this point. We can't sit on our couches and watch it on the evening news and try to figure out and then go out and forget the world. The world is knocking on our doors. And I think that's making people pay more attention too. But yeah, the polarization is tough to deal with. But, and part of that picture is, you know, we've been sold this bill of goods that somehow the feeling and emotional side of our brain is inferior, you know, and, and feelings always get us into trouble. And that's true insofar as we tend to stay locked into the fear-based side of our emotional nervous system. What is known uh, in, in uh, psychophysiology as the sympathetic side, which is based on fear and adrenaline. So part of that polarity, you know, argumentation framework is that, you know, people are constantly fear of this or that, either this or that is thrown at people. And we've been taught to operate primarily from the sympathetic side of our emotional nervous system. Instead of learning how to uh, up jump into the what is known as the parasympathetic. And I love the word parasympathetic side of our autonomic or emotional nervous system. Para implies higher, the higher than sympathetic. <laughs> Part of the problem with sympathetic is that uh, we, we get locked into feeling like we need somebody to save us from fear, right? We need right. sympathy. 
Whereas when you go into the above sympathy side and you start to learn how to generate from a more relaxed, easygoing, in flow, in the groove kind of place, you start to generate what are, what are known as acetylcholines as opposed to strictly adrenaline. And when we learn to generate acetylcholines from the parasympathetic side of our emotional nervous system, which involves learning to just be okay with our emotional nature. It's not like we're not gonna get triggered, but there's a way that meditation teaches, which is to learn to relax with whatever emotions you might be having. Right. Rather than take them so seriously that you feel a need to go into fight or flight and into argumentation. So when people learn to shift into the parasympathetic side, generate acetylcholines, uh, there was a, a famous psychologist who, who wrote a book in the, the late 60s in which he had a few articles based on this. And what they discovered is because the brain field goes from when we're in fear, we tend to narrow band focus. We focus in on a problem, right? And some kind of conflictual problem, right? right. So we get ourselves set for fighting with each other. But when we shift into parasympathetic, the awareness system goes wide band. We start, you know, that soft, easy place where you kind of right. see everything in your informational field as opposed to just the problem. So what they found is when people shift into the parasympathetic side, they actually start processing way more bits of information per moment. And what this does is it creates the sensation of time slowing down. One of the things they found in the film industry is if you start feeding a projector with more frames per moment, it creates slow motion. So, you know, when people get into their, their flow, their more relaxed state, they go wideband, they start picking up way more bits of information, and the whole brain field now, left brain frontal cortex, right brain occipital cortex, begins to develop the capacity to see potential solutions. We call this insight in meditation, to be able to see inward into you know, the roots of a situation and use that awareness, that higher awareness to create solutions rather than keep focusing on problems. Yeah, you know, you just saying it and putting it that way, I, I can recall different times when I've been in a debate with somebody and the moment I see them starting to focus on something that was said, some part of something that I said, I see them starting to get nervous. They tap their feet and I'm just going, oh my God, this is going to be so easy to debate them because they're so focused on that. You can like do that soft gaze and look out over the landscape so much further and you already know where they're going, what they're going to say, what your response would be and two different ways to take the conversation from then, from that point. And, and I can see people do this. I mean, one girl, um, Candace Owens, she's a, a, a black conservative and I can see her when she's talking with people. She's like four or five steps ahead of them and they're all nervous and trying to prove their point and she's just sitting back and 
calculating all the all the different steps that's going to be necessary to get her point across and completely diffuse what they're saying in the first place. And there's actually been a really uh, brilliant book uh, that was put out a couple of years ago called The Rise of Superman. I don't know if you've heard about it. I've heard about it. I haven't it's read really it. Worth reading. It's it's a uh, basically a reporter type guy who is was interested in extreme sports. And what he discovered is that in order to function at the extreme sport level, because your life is literally at stake, right? right. In any given moment in some extreme sport. And what he found is that the minute somebody tries to figure their way through from left brain frontal cortex, from thinking mind, the moment you think, try to think a solution, it's too late. Right. But the moment you go into pure awareness to, to what he calls being in flow, being in wide band space where you're just so present, you're picking everything up. It's like the informational field in the moment guides you in the right direction because your awareness is so keen and clean, you know? Yeah, it reminds me of a lot of these martial artists. I, I think they get into that zone, you know, exactly. where they're, they're way out in front of it. And, you know, I, I ran into something that I think you might find interesting. Have you ever heard of Zim Hoff? Yes. No, Wim Hof, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I've been doing his breathing exercises where you take 30 deep breaths, just nice and easy, and let it out. And when you let it out, you hold your breath. Something really amazing happens. And I, I'd like to interview him and ask, because he hasn't brought this up yet, but talking about the sympathetic, parasympathetic systems, the, the breathing is one of the bodily functions that happens automatically, but we can intervene into it. And when you hold your breath after that last 30th breath, there comes a point where something inside of you is saying, hey, you need to breathe, you're gonna die. You know? <laughs> but if you override that with consciousness, something sort of amazing happens because you've overlapped with your unconsciousness now and you've consciously overridden that tendency to breathe. And at that point, you can breathe when you want to. And I've noticed it's important when I do breathe that I, I make the conscious choice and say, okay, I'm going to breathe right now. Listen, it's really interesting that you bring this up because you happen to be talking to a guy who is not only uh, uh, you know, a rebirthing uh, guide for many years. I used to have uh, a, one of those flotation tanks in my basement, which David participated in. And I used to sit there, it was big enough that I could sit Lotus and guide a person through uh, an hour long uh, rebirthing holotrophic breath like session. And I've actually done some uh, eight to 900 hour-long sessions plus many shorter sessions on myself. And what we've discovered in relation to what you're talking about 
Uh, Wilhelm Reich years ago was one of the first people to point out in his bioenergetics that part of the way we protect ourselves from having emotions that we're afraid to have is by locking the diaphragm. You know, we, in a sense, we freeze it and it become over time, it, you develop body armor around the diaphragm, which is connected to the vagus nerve which is what helps you to shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic. So what happens when people develop a lot of uh, emotional occipital brain fear, the diaphragm tends to get so locked in that people breathe way shallow. You know, it's like a way of protecting yourself from, I don't want to feel that, right? Right. But when you teach people how to loosen up the diaphragm through deep breathing, this sort of stuff that uh, uh, Vim teaches, you, as the diaphragm looses, you be, and because you start to have emotional releases, like the backlog of stuff that you've been trying to protect yourself tends to come through. But there you are, just breathing, watching it, right? Just like in meditation. This is like a more active meditation. There you are having these feelings and you're just being the witness, the watcher, the higher conscious person. And you, you're learning to relax and have those emotions and let them finally come through you and in some way uh, release in a way in which you start to absolve yourself of uh, continuing to feel so afraid of having those kinds of emotions. So... What happens is that this kind of loosening up of the diaphragm and the vagus nerve helps you to shift from being locked into sympathetic side into more parasympathetic open side. And you start to integrate the emotional and occipital regions of your brain into ever higher waveforms. I mean, this is what we're finding in terms of, you know, shifting from ordinary beta, low frequency, low amplitude sort of ordinary thinking mind space and then you start to develop uh alpha rhythms and what happens when you start shifting from alpha to theta to uh to high amplitude delta and even to potentially high amplitude beta which uh joe dispenza has been teaching in in his courses what happens is the whole brain starts to fire as an integral unit. Instead of being locked into left brain frontal cortex or stuck in you know, the other half, fear-based, you know, can't see your way forward, you start to integrate the brain into higher and higher waveforms. And you actually start to, as you do that, you start to release these ever higher neurochemicals within your nervous system, even beyond shifting from adrenaline to acetylcholines, and you, you start to shift into seeing the pure energetic waveform nature of reality as opposed to the thingness nature of reality. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, and, and I think once you get there, don't, don't you think that once you change that resonance, you start decoding reality differently? Oh, way differently. Yeah, and it's hard to say if, if there is a reality really out there. I remember I was talking to Fred Allen Wolf one time, and the first time he told me there's no out there out there, <laughs> my mind just went, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? There's, there's got to be an out there out there. But 
after looking into it, really there is no out there out there. It's all in here being decoded. And, and I think if we could start truly decoding reality a little more clear, it just might help us get through what we're going through right now. Well, part of what happens, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this, is when you start shifting into higher waveforms and the brain, we refer to it as the brain starts to function more coherently. Instead of being discordant and in conflict, you know, like the left brain being in conflict with the right brain, the frontal cortex being in conflict with the visual cortex, and they all start to function in more harmonic resonance with each other, we actually start to see you know, we, in a sense, we shift from particle to waveform. We, we start to shift our quantum uh, sense of reality from strictly particle way more into waveform. And the more we do that, you know, we used to say, we, we get our minds completely blown wide open, right? You start to go, wow. You know, everything is more interconnected and tangled. Everything is more brilliantly, radiantly energetic than we normally see. And it's all interconnected and tangled. No, nothing is separate, you know. That's yeah, part of the left brain idea. And it's at that point, too, it's more fluid-like to where oh. if, you're, if you're really conscious, you can actually start participating in manifesting things in your life and situations. Exactly. So tell me something. You you were bringing up something called New World Reson Renaissance, right? What, what is that about? Well, part of uh, you know, as a student of higher conscious states for many years, and and waveforms, and shifting from particle to wave understanding, and and having you know the current book I'm writing about the first chapters deal with this with trying to formulate the unified field theory of positively everything that people have been looking for in quantum physics since Einstein. And I feel like I put it together, you know, in the first chapters of this book. And part of what we're starting to understand is that the unified field is, seems to be made up of two uh, super light speed opposite directional whirl energies. One of them is uh, referred to as dark energy, which is the expansive force, the weak force, which uh, at the other end of a black hole, when, it, when material matter form gets reduced back into pure energy, it just expands out to infinity and beyond. But that's not all there is. Simultaneously with this, there's an inner whirling contractive strong force known as uh, dark matter, which is really pre-matter. And this opposite direction force is whirling into, you know, into each other. The contractive inward and the expansive outward. And it's the interaction between these two super light speed, which means basically non-local. I don't know if you ever watched David's video on quantum communication. Yes, I have. In which she, there's scientific evidence which demonstrates that something magical, mystical, non-local goes on here, you know? Yeah, Everything you is so tell, interconnected tell me, at a distance. Tell me something, Lynn. Do you think that, I, I know scientists are starting to wonder about this, like at the CERN collider, because every time we start looking for a particle, 
it seems to be there. Every time we develop technology that looks further out over the event horizon, it seems to be there. And I have to wonder to myself, are we creating reality as we go? Are we consciously creating more particles, more space through our conscious deliberate action of paying attention to it? Not knowing, not realizing we're actually manifesting space and matter and time and everything. Well, uh, part of what I argue in this, this, in terms of the interaction of these two super light speed non-local at a distance forces, which are, which are happening in a sense in no space time, zero point space time, which is what happens at the other end of a black hole. I mean, that's the theory that uh, material matter mass becomes so inwardly contractive from the outer edges of a galaxy to the core of a galaxy that it actually becomes, the inward force becomes so powerful that it pulls the expansive force back through into no space time, into zero space time. So part of what I argue in this theory is that uh, what, what my notion explains is that zero point space time and linear sequential ordinary space time coexist at the same time. There, you know, it, it's mind blowing to think that no space time and ordinary space time are coexisting with each other. And it, it's difficult too because linguistically we're sort of stuck in this little confinement of words. So you almost have to, in a Heinleinian sense, you almost have to grok what you're saying <laughs> to really make sense of this. You know what would be helpful if, if you run across any graphics? I love any graphics that explain. Yeah, if you have any graphics that shows this, send them to oh, me. And I'll, yeah, I'll embed them into this interview because that would help people understand. I, I, can, I can sort of wrap my head around it a little bit, you know, but graphics really helps people well, to. My first chapter, which includes graphics, and part of what this theory does, when you see the interaction of these two forces at super light speed, when they interact, the very edges of where they overlap, vesica Pisces overlap, they create an effect in, in quantum physics known as angular momentum. And angular momentum, because of the interaction of the two forces, it shoots off, slow down ordinary light speeds at right angles to the spin and creates ordinary space time, okay? And, you know, uh, uh, God, what's his name, has, has done a bunch of uh, papers on the idea of this interaction between quantum forces, creating angular momentum and sacred geometry. So, yeah. so you know, so, some, of the, some of the time I've spent ahead. with June, some of the time I've spent with June Balo on sacred geometry is helping right now to understand what you're saying. Well, and that sacred geometry starts to form subatomic particles, which are now in slowed down space. The thing about superlight is that it's totally non-local and in no space time. But the minute it interacts, it creates angular momentum, sacred geometry, which, which also tends to create a code because every particular interaction 
creates a particular kind of particle. And part of what I argue is every particle that ever comes into existence all the way up to atoms and beyond, you know, including uh, very sophisticated organic forms, creates an informational code. I love the word information. So, right. you know, interaction creates information, which is particles that have a code. Which, you know, we know that every atomic element has a particular atomic structure code, right? And so part of what the quantum field does is it creates the, the atomic table of elements. And, and, and hence, part of what it does is create, you know, things that we can come to understand and grok, right? You know what? But, you, you talking about this, what comes to my mind right now is... I, I really think, I try not to use the word believe, but I really think that everything that we're talking about right now is limited only by our spiritual consciousness. And I hope this is true because a lot of this kind of science could be misused by dark forces and dark thinking. But I, th I think that there is a limit to how far they can grasp this kind of information until you spiritually grow to bring it in from those higher well, resonance. And this is, you know, leading into the idea of, so uh, what is somebody who becomes a mystic? You know, what is somebody who attains to these higher conscious understandings? Well, part of it is when we grow our nervous system and learn to shift it from, you know, being overly attached and focused on particles and you know material matter forms uh we tend to lose the ability to see the deeper pure energetic wave nature of reality but the minute we find ways you know uh techniques and the old testament basically talked about two major ways to for anyone to kind of start to grok the more pure energetic waveform nature of reality. And the, you know, the first one is the traditional meditative path, which is learn to be totally quiet still and know that you are non-separate from the source of all, from not, not separate from God. So the more you learn to quiet your, your uh, active expressive side and open the sensory side of your nervous system into the here and now, the deeper and deeper you go past particle form into waveform and you start to grok, oh my God, everything is waveness, you know, and all waveness is interconnected and tangled within this infinite field of oneness. The more deeply you go into it and get insights into that, it starts to change the nature of the way, you know, you see reality, so-called reality. And it's not as though uh, you, 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 know, you completely uh, eliminate the notion of, you know, the rational, logical, abstract concept, particle understanding of reality. It's just that you start to see deeper and that, and in seeing deeper, it gives you more creative freedom by seeing the inti intimate entanglement of everything 
you start to feel the creative possibility to invent deeper and deeper understandings instead of, you know, in the Buddhist sense, instead of being attached, overly attached and identified with what you used to know, what you were taught, now you go, oh, these were mere abstractions and I can actually participate in inventing even deeper level understanding abstractions, <laughs> right? Hey, you know what? With, with everything you're saying right now, I, I, I am keeping a wide focus. And one of the things that's coming in is AI, artificial intelligence. I, I sort of see something that might be going on in the universe and it could be going on for a long time. But I, I think biologically, you know, carbon-based biology and silicon-based biology, I think are two pretty separate lines of being. And in fact, we could be uh, in, a, in a sense being invaded right now by artificial intelligence beings. I wonder if artificial intelligence has a limit to how far they can take this line of thought because they are severed from spirit. Exactly. They perfect your last statement because, because what I've come to conclude is we can utilize artificial intelligence and it can be incredibly useful, but it's always limited to like particle, uh, you know, object understandings. So it's dependent on the concepts, the pre-abstracted forms that we we in a sense feed it the information that is based on you know particle material matter reality so it can never really get to that place of the higher pure energetic understanding which is what's really magical about us i mean magical mystical mysterious like wow bless it. we have the ability to come into the deeper place and i don't know why it's so difficult i mean how come it takes like a journey, you know? How come, you know, we have to seek in order to find this, this higher state? And you know, part of the way of seeking is to learn to be quiet still, but the other way is to learn to be totally let go and let God. In a sense, let go and let God puts the emphasis on the expressive side of the nervous system. In the be quiet still, we shut down the expressive. In the let go and let, let God, we, we party, we celebrate, we dance, we chant, we, uh, you know, we sing, we play music, we, we go, and we go through rounds of let go. And, and the deeper let go, I mean, you've been in, in ashram situations where, you know, that party atmosphere happens and the party gets deeper and deeper, the energy gets higher and higher, and suddenly you're into the place of non-locality you know, yep. the zero-point field, right? Yeah, and you get a I, glimpse of that. I, I really miss those times, just talking <laughs> about it, just uh, doing the, the white robe of an evening and doing the dynamic and everything. You know, my, my wife, I, I should send this to you too. I'll, I'll send you one of her uh, DVDs. She did a 40-minute consolidated meditation, taking advantage of doing dynamic and breathing and moving and sitting and relaxing and all that. And every once in a while here at the center, up until recently, since we're COVID-19, but we would have meditation groups here. 
And what I try to explain to people, the dynamic is your opportunity to give yourself permission to be a child again. Because when we were children, <laughs> what did we do when we didn't want to go to school or we didn't want to go out and play? We threw a temper tantrum. We got in the floor and just kicked and screamed and yelled. And it's because our bodies knows what to do with that energy. But throughout our life, especially for women, we're told to go to our room, sit still, stop fidgeting. And we do, we lock all that up. And stop feeling, stop, you yeah. know, rather than let it come through. Because when we learn to let it come through, we, what we notice is, wow, that huge feeling was just about a whole bunch of energy that wanted to come through. Yeah, just and the moment you out. let it come through, you start to connect with energy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So right now you live in Taos, New Mexico, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are, are there any Osho groups down there that you're involved with? or? Uh, there's a few people in Santa Fe. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, since uh, my last visit to Pune, we've pretty much been, I, I've sat Vipassana uh, two times with Osho uh, and some seven to eight times, one time including 20 days. And part of what I loved about the way Osho presented Vipassana, he said, once you get the essence of just being the pure witness and getting your head out of the way and letting wholeness come through you, you know, be the witness and just be in that sort of relaxed open space and notice that you can let whatever is so come through you. And part of what he said is don't get locked into the idea that you have to sit in meditation to do that. The whole right. idea of sitting in meditation is learn to learn to do that all the time. Right. right. Yep. And, and the Buddhist metaphor for this was to learn to become a hollow bamboo, you know, which is basically uh, get past being over-identified, attached to your ideas about things, part of right. the things. And uh, at the same time, learn to to get past being resistive to your emotional nature. You know, learn to, to, to let your feelings come through, but also discover that if you let them through, you don't necessarily have to act on them. You know, you don't have to compulsively fight or flight with them. You can just be the witness to them coming through. Right? Yeah, it's, it's, you can learn to celebrate them. It's funny too, you saying that, one of the things that happens to me is I'll, I'll be sitting quiet, I become the witness and everything quiets down. I'm, I'm watching some thoughts go by and it's a beautiful experience, but what happens? Eventually my ego personality comes in and goes, ah, I'm the witness, yay. And it gets all excited about it made it to the witness state and it's completely gone at that point. Well, the, the next state in terms of what I'm suggesting is uh, to practice the hollow bamboo, which is to, to increasingly notice when you become overly attached to either or, you know, based on your past preconceptions of things, and, and just decide to shift from being so object either or focused into pure energy focused. 
support yourself to become more and more energy focused. Notice that everything, you know, both sides of a picture are radiating energy. <laughs> you, know? you know, what? one of my, uh, I love quotes. And one of the quotes I really like come out of the Middle East. It says, believe in Allah, but tie up your camel first. There <laughs> seems to be this balance to where, you know, ha have your beliefs, have the, the free flow of your beingness, but then there's some three-dimensional responsibilities while we're here too. And I think that's one of the things we're running into. We're seeing our healthcare system does not work. We're seeing that the financial system was built to collapse. We're seeing that we, we can't build a system like financial systems that have to be infinitely growing and base it on finite resources. That, that's going to be a big problem and it's already starting to tighten up right now and and i think if there's anything to be learned from this COVID 19 uh it's that we we need to redo the way we're living our lives uh myself i, I don't wear a mask i we live isolated anyway so it's actually no big deal i we wear a mask if i have to like at costco so, so people don't look at me like I'm a mass murderer or something, you know, but I see all of the fear in people when they're out and got their mask on and little kids with their mask on. And boy, if we don't get past this, I, I'm not too sure what the next step of this would be, but it, it can't be good. But underlying all of this madness, I see this sacred emerging bubbling up of consciousness through people. And, and part of that, in terms of what you just said about our medical system, is part of what it's teaching us is we're way more inter infinitely interconnected and tangled with each other than, than we've been led to believe under the idea that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're wealthy enough and can afford health care, then you deserve it. Whereas what we're discovering is that, wait a minute, people who are too poor to afford it? They can very well affect the people who are rich, you know, right? As well as as other poor, and so we're starting to understand that to really care about our health involves creating some kind of a system, inventing the creative side of our mind rather than being stuck into what we've identified in the past. It's like getting into the most creative, inventive side, which happens in pure energy awareness, getting into that and supporting ourselves to invent something way more holistically encompassing better, you know? Yep. Yeah, I was thinking in this last issue of Lotus Guide, I, I wrote an article about regenerative agriculture being, um, you know, one of the primary solutions to life. Like, I didn't know it, but even organic farmers tilled their soil and that's wrong to do because you're tilling up all of that biomass underneath there that should be left there to do its job, you know. But it, that would touch finances, our health, and national security, too. We, we don't grow enough food for us anymore. We've well, another part of that food chain in terms of understanding the beautiful interconnected way that things support, you know, including the minerals and and. In, and water and sunshine, how those all those factors contribute to supporting the, the growth of really healthy food. 
And, you know, part of what's emerging with COVID is that people who can't afford healthy foods are very vulnerable to this, you know, to this virus. Whereas people who can uh, find a way to get better, healthier, more integral foods seem to do better. So this would imply that, well, maybe it's incumbent upon us to learn to grow really healthy, integral foods. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, one of the things that I, I have found, and I've told this to several people that they buy GMO foods, you know, the, the worst kind of foods, and they say, I can't afford organic foods. And I say, yes, you can. You just eat half as much as what you're eating, and the price comes out to be about the same, because most people could eat easily half as much as what they're eating. But, but another way that is emerging also is more and more people are going back to growing their own gardens, even in their yeah. small little plots, you know? And they're saying, you know what? If I'm gonna grow my own garden, I may as well grow it as organically and integrally as possible, right? Yeah, we, we put that, in a garden. We put in a garden this year and during the COVID thing, since we pretty much had to stay home, I, I built really nice greenhouse and I had my neighbor come over and we dug down seven feet by 10 feet by 15 feet. And I put a four inch corrugated drainage pipe all the way down there, 200 feet of it with a sock on it, with a blower on one end and it coming out the other end. And it doesn't matter how hot it is in there. And probably when wintertime comes, it'll keep it from freezing up. In that greenhouse, I, I have a feeling I could grow most of the food we need. See that I, I grew up like that. When I, I we we did a garden this year, and it's so neat to feel things that I used to feel as a kid. You know, our own right. lettuce, our own peas, our own corn, <laughs> no organic corn. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's uh, something about it. You know, to be able to grow something. I'm, I'm even thinking about getting a couple of goats and some chickens, uh, even if things get better. It, it's nice to know that and it's nice to have that and be around animals and all that. But if things, you know, you know this better than I, between two systems, one system changing to another, that intervening chaos in the middle, which actually isn't chaos, if you can look closely, you can see patterns. But this could get pretty challenging for a lot of people until we develop and break into another system. But this is where what we talked about earlier, you know, shifting from problem focus, narrow band, fear based, fight or flight into wide band, you know, maximum information, starting to sense the interconnected, entangled nature of everything and starting to invent to, in a sense, newly invent ourselves way more integrally in tune with the, the unified field, you know? Right. With, with, you know, starting to understand that we can't go on with living in separation, thinking, you know, in thinking mind that somehow aren't we smart, you know? <laughs> when really we're super stupid until we go holistic, you know? <laughs> until we go whole integral. I have an acronym that I use throughout my book, which is WNSI, which to me refers to the idea of whole nervous system integrity. You know, integrating our left brain and our right brain, our frontal cortex, our left, our occipital cortex, because the more we do that, 
guess what the magical mystery tour takes us into? Our hearts. It's right. like what, what all the great mystics have always said is no, it's not our brains that are the center of our intelligence, it's our hearts. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, a, a, while, a while back, a, a friend of mine has uh, up in Canada, as a matter of fact, BioCybernaut. I did his neural feedback training and we did really, too. You did with yeah. Dr. Hart? James Hart. Yeah. 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 Matter of fact, I'm going to be talking to him later today. When, when I did that, as I got deeper and deeper into Alpha, a few things happened. One, when I was there, for some reason, I thought about an apple and it appeared right before me. <laughs> and I, I started to try to grab it. And I went, wow. But the other thing that happened as I, as I went deeper, into uh, Alpha, and I was doing forgiveness, pulling in my heart. My consciousness came down into my heart area, and it I, I lost all my feeling of conscious centeredness up here, and it went right directly into my heart, and it was such an amazing feeling that it, to this day it's it's like stayed with me. Well, exactly. I mean. Part of what I write about later in the book, and maybe we can get into it more the next time when we deal about the nine neurochemicals that, that I've, you know, other people and I've sort of put together, have discovered. And that's the idea that uh, there's the quantum field itself seems to create through that interconnected entanglement of. Uh, you know, of dark energy and dark matter, pre-matter, it creates, uh, in addition to creating angular momentum, it creates something like a very subtle harmonic hum, which, you know, in the, in the uh, Vedic tradition, they refer to as an ohm, that the, the quantum field creates this, you know, subtle harmonic, which is, it's exactly that feeling you get in your heart when you when you're really loving existence, <laughs> you know. It's yeah, a, would, we, wouldn't that be something if we figure out the the exact resonance that would resonate our Brahma's cave with the pineal gland and everything right. that would excite it to open up that pineal receiver, you know? Exactly. Well, the thing about the pineal, what it what it helps release is natural DMT. That's right. the, one of the higher alchemals, and DMT, when is you know, it's basically pure psychedelic, and what it does is it supports you to shift from object focus into pure energy focus. It's like you start to see the light. You know, yep. in alchemy, they refer to it as the peacock's tail. And it's just before you discover pure gold, which is the pure gold of a totally open heart, you know, which we've experienced in the form of enlightened master, right? A totally open heart. So what happens in the peacock's tail is you start to see the colors start to radiate and emanate off everything, right? Everything right. turns into a peacock's tail when you when you start to see pure en pure energy as opposed to object particle. Yeah, you know, so I was I was listening to Terence McKenna one time talk about 
Uh, yeah, I, I've done mushrooms. When we go to Brazil, I do ayahuasca and take these journeys. And the first time I, I smoked dimethyltryptamine, it was the longest, most amazing 10 minutes of my life. And it's such a trip to within that amount of time, you go from a, a linear reality that's all this. Yeah, and everything goes into pixelation and fluid-like, <laughs> and you lose all concepts of trying to hold on to any kind of time structure at all. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. You go and start to go into no space, time, pure energy. You see, go to what has been referred to as the other side. <laughs> We're yeah. one success. And, it, and it helps. This. Well, it helps once you've been there, because now, I mean, sitting here talking with you, a few things have happened above and beyond normal, enticing, intriguing conversation. We're a little more entangled now, We're a little <laughs> more entangled, which, which means we will probably have future conversations. If I ever come to Taos, New Mexico, you know, we, we will meet, but something else happens really, really intriguing because we're entering into this realm of resonance to where our minds are touching each other in a very sacred kind of a way. I mean, I, I can tell when I talked to David, David says, you know, you, you have to interview my dad. And I said, yeah, I, I would. You know, then we got to talk and I thought, oh my God, yeah, I, I really need to interview you. In this communication, there is a, a sacred bond of being truthful, being authentic, like, you're not trying to impress me. I'm not trying to impress you. We're just opening up and letting our spirits do what spirits do. And it's such, I mean, I can feel what I'm saying right now in my chest, my heart, you know, and this is where we need to get the world. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, to summarize today, uh, Christ tried to tell us what, two centuries ago? And how shall ye know them, those who have found, by their love, by their love, by their love? Not only that, he said, love thy neighbor as thyself. Right. And what that implies is when you understand non-separateness, you understand that thy neighbor is an intimate part and parcel of oneness or so-called God. So to harm thy neighbor, this is what my new Renaissance idea is about. To harm thy neighbor is, would actually be like harming God. Right. So once you understand this, why would you choose a way of living which is harmful to thy neighbor? or harming God, if, if you understand, you know, that we're all interconnected. We're, you know, we're part of, part of thy big self. Love thy neighbor as thy big self, thy oneness, right? And then you really understand, I mean, why would I cut off my left arm? It wouldn't make any sense. It's part of my being and it hurts me. It's, it's not just my left, it's part of me and we're all parts of this grander self that we're experiencing this amazing journey in 
You know, Lynn, we're going to have to do this again. We're running out of time, but definitely we, we need to do this again and we'll get more into the new world renaissance. And, um, and we'll, the we'll, yep, we'll just have to leave it at here for that, but we'll definitely do this again. So I, I guess in the true sense of the word, I, I do love your brother and um, let's see where this takes us. Namaste. I am so grateful for sharing this deepness, which is exactly what we would experience when we spent time with the master who would put us through various kinds of learnings to help get us into that pure energetic oneness, one love state. <laughs> exactly. All right, Lynn. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.